this morning. <clears throat> I pray that you do. Please turn them with me to John chapter number 14. John chapter 14, we're going to continue where we left off last week. I, if anybody knows me, you know that I, I love cars, always have. Um, ever since I was a little bitty boy, um, I was given the love of cars by my dad, I guess. We, I can remember as early as four or five, maybe six years old, going with him to car shows and car races and spending time with him in the backyard getting greasy under a car hood. And I always, I've always enjoyed that. Some of my fondest memories have to do with cars. And so uh, I'm a car lover. I love to um, fix them and, and um, work on them and, and, and do what I can to, to be around that kind of thing. I, I enjoy it. Um, I don't get to as much as I used to. It's funny how when you grow older, uh, your priorities are directed in different areas. And when you have them babies, uh, that kind of, uh, and they're them blessed gifts from God, that, that kind of changes your priorities so that you don't get to do some of the things you used to do. But I still try and, and, and fool with cars as much as possible. I remember when I was about 13 years old, um, my dad and me had been looking for a car that we could restore and then would be my car when, it, when I turned 16. And so uh, he came home from work one evening and he said, son, I think I found us a car. And I said, really? I said, what is it? And he said, well, it's a 1965 Galaxy 500. He said, it's over in Tremont. I want to go look at it this evening, see what you think. And I, man, I was excited and he was excited. And so me and him and mom got in the car and we went over to Tremont. We went over to Cotton Gin Road. Has anybody ever been to Cotton Gin Road? If you don't know where Cotton Gin Road is, you've got to be looking for it to find it, I promise you. And so we ran all the way out in the middle of nowhere to Cotton Gin Road and, uh, and turned off on another little gravel road and went out to this man's house that my dad worked with. And he was sitting out on the porch. And we got out and met him. And he said, uh, did y'all come to look at the car? And dad said, yeah, we want to come see what you got. So he said, well, let's around back, back of the house. So we went around the back of his house there and there sat that car. Y'all remember those cars, don't you? Uh, this thing was uh, had a, a big 390, big block engine in, in, in it, and it was about as long as one of those pews, or longer probably. That thing looked like it was 25, 30 foot long. You could have played football on the hood of that car. I mean, it was huge. It was a two-door, but it would took two people to shut that door. They were so heavy. And uh, I looked at it there, and Dad looked at my face, and he knew I wasn't interested. And I looked at his face, and I knew he wasn't interested. And he said, you don't like it, do you? I said, no, nah, I don't really like it. He said, I don't either. Uh, he said, I think we're going to pass. And he looked at that guy and he said, I, I think we're going to wait on that. And he said, well, if, if you're not interested in this one, I've got another car. I was planning on fixing it. Um, but uh, if you're interested in buying it, then I may just sell it. And dad said, well, what you got? He said, well, we got, I got a fair lane. It's over at my mother-in-law's house. And, uh, and dad said, well, uh, let's go look at that one. So we went over to his mother-in-law's house. We went up down Cotton Gin Road again, turned off on another gravel road, went out about five miles back off in the woods. And there's a little farmhouse out there, and, and right beside her house was another gravel road. So we turned down it and went down about another mile and a half, and there was a barn. And uh, that was his barn, and inside the hallway of that barn, I seen that car sitting there. It's a 1964 Ford Fairlane. And so, uh, man, automatically, I could see myself riding in that car. It was rusty from bumper to bumper. I mean, it needed a lot of work, but I had big plans for that car. Automatically, I fell in love with it. I wanted it. It had uh, dust on it about a half inch thick. And, um, and that guy said, it don't look like much, but it, man, it runs great. And sure enough, he jumped in there, fired that thing over, uh, turned it over about twice. It fired right up. Man, run fantastic. And so three speed on the column. 
And, uh, and I, I, I was, could just see myself driving that car. So I was smiling from ear to ear. Dad was smiling for, from ear to ear. And he said, you like this one, don't you? I said, I like it. He said, I do too. Let's buy it. And so they started uh, uh, figuring out what I was going, to, was going to give for that car. And I'll never forget that evening. My dad counted out eight $100 bills on the hood of that car. And he bought uh, my first car that day. So we took that thing home. And uh, we drove it home, me and dad. Mom followed us in the car behind us. And uh, yeah, that was a good thing. She had a car to ride in because you, she couldn't ride in the back seat. You had to keep your feet up on that hump in the center because both floorboards where you put your feet were completely out of it. I mean, you could see the, uh, you could see the highway under it as we was riding home. But man, we was tickled. Um, never been so proud of a car. So we got it to the house, started cleaning it up, started working on it. And uh, mom and dad uh, got me a paint job. And then uh, that next summer, I mowed grass all summer long and put new interior in it. So you had, had a new paint job, had new interior. And right before I got my license, mom and dad bought me a set of wheels and tires uh, to go on it. Man, I was tickled to death about that car. It looked great, you know. And I was driving it back and forth to school. One morning, me and my two brothers were on our way to school, and it run hot, hot on me. And we pulled it over to the side of the road. And um, that evening, me and dad came back to look and see what had went wrong with it. And it had gotten too hot and ruined the engine. They had dropped a freeze plug and, and uh, just uh, ruined my car. So we towed it back to the house, and it sat there in my yard uh, for about a month and a half. And so every day when I'd get off the bus, I'd walk by that car and think, man, we all wish I could get this thing running, you know. It looks so good sitting in the driveway. And you said, Brother well, what in the world does that have to do with us? Well, that has a great deal to do with us this morning. Let me tell you why I say that. A car's purpose is to get you from point A to point B. Would you agree with that? That's what a car's been created for. That's what it is supposed to do. That, that is its purpose um, in this world. Now, listen to me, folks. No matter how good it looked, it was not fulfilling its purpose. And it was not fulfilling its purpose because it lacked the power under the hood to get you from point A to point B. Now, for the believer, what I fear happens in the modern church today, in the American church today, uh, what I, f I fear is taking place is we look the part. We clean up, we uh, look like we're supposed to look, and we even try and act like we're supposed to act, but somehow, some way, we're still not fulfilling our purpose. Let me tell you why. I think it's because we're lacking power. Everything looks good on the outside. But what we need is the power of the Holy Spirit to help us accomplish what's needed and what we have been created anew in Christ Jesus to accomplish. Amen. And how many know that's what you, you, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, the Bible says you are now a new creation. Old things are passed away and behold, all things become new. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21. Uh, Ephesians 2 and verse number 10 says that we have been created in Christ as His workmanship unto good works. Now how does all of those good works, how does this new creation that God has made in all of us that have placed their faith in Jesus, how does these things come to pass? How do we fulfill our purpose? How do we be what God has created us to be? Let me tell you something, it can't be in our own power. It can't be in our own ability. It can't be through what we can do. We must, we have to have 
the person of the Holy Spirit working in us and working through us to accomplish His good will and purpose. Without that, we are powerless. And without that, we'll never get the job done. We'll never be effective. Listen, we can go through the motions in our own power. We can learn how to do church in our own power. We can even preach the message, teach the class, sing the song in our own power. But listen, whatever we do will never be effective without the power of God. Without the work of the Holy Spirit. So if we are ignorant as to who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does, then we'll never be what God has saved us to be. And so last week we began a series of messages entitled, The Work of the Holy Spirit. And so we're looking at John chapter 14 through John chapter 16, and we'll be in several places, so I'm going to ask you to keep your Bibles open this morning. But in John chapter 14, Jesus begins telling us about the promise of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you remember last week, we said that if we're going to know what the Holy Spirit does, first of all, we got to know who He is. And who is the Holy Spirit? I gave you two points. I said that the Holy Spirit, first and foremost, is God. If you believe that, say amen. Now listen, the Holy Spirit is just as much God as God the Father and God the Son. He is a member of the Holy Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All three have distinctly different personalities, but all three are one. One God in three persons. Amen. <laughs> we found out last week that the Holy Spirit was, had a part in creation. That God the Father was there, God the Son was there, but also God the Holy Spirit was there. And all that was created was done by the work of the Holy Spirit. So He is God. But now let, let me say something else. He's also a person. He's a person. And if He is a person, that means He does know us and we can know Him. Let me give you a few scriptures before I go any further with that. Uh, we know He is a person according to the Word of God because the Bible says in Romans 8.27 that He has a mind. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12 and 11 that He has a will. The Bible says in Galatians 5.22-23 that He has emotional feelings. Now listen, I have a mind, I have a will, I have emotion, so that means I'm a person. You have a mind, you have a will, you have emotion, that means you are a person. The Holy Spirit has a mind, the Holy Spirit has a will, the Holy Spirit has emotion, that means He is a person. So according to Scripture, listen, the Holy Spirit is not an it, He's a He. <laughs> and because He's a person... He knows us and we can know Him. As a matter of fact, He knows us so well that He prays on our behalf and we don't even know how to pray. According to Romans chapter 8. Have you ever been in those times in your life? You don't know how to pray. You don't know what to pray. You just don't really know what to do. The Bible says in those times the Holy Spirit prays on your behalf knowing you better than you know yourself. Knowing your need better than you know your need. This is part of the work of the Holy Spirit. Because He is a person, He knows us. And because He is God, He loves us and acts on what's best concerning us. Now look what it says. 
uh, here in John chapter 14. I want to read to you just three verses that we looked at previously. First of all, it says in verse 16, Jesus said, I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him. For he dwelleth with you and he shall be in you. Everybody say in you. Then he says something else. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. So we said last week, the first work of the Holy Spirit is to represent and restore the presence of Jesus in this world for the believer. You see, Jesus is telling his disciples he's about to go back to his heavenly father. He's about to die on a cross, raise again the third day, and then 40 days later, he's going to ascend back to heaven. So he's leaving. But he says, you know what? When I leave, I'm going to send back another. We talked about two words last week. Do you remember the two words? We said, first of all, another and abide. Another is the Greek word that means one of the same kind. So what Jesus is saying is this. I'm going to send one back just like myself. I'm going to replace myself with the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit replaces Jesus in this world. So that now... Listen, everybody who has the Holy Spirit in them has Christ in them. A great definition of the Holy Spirit is this, Christ in the Christian. Amen? And the Bible teaches that if you have been born again into the family of God, you have been baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. You have been now indwelled by the precious Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.16 that we are now the temple of Almighty God. God lives in us. Jesus lives in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. How You said, Brother, how is that possible? I thought you said it was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Listen, there is perfect unity in the Holy Trinity. Do you remember what God said, or Jesus said when um, Philip said in John 14, he said, well, Lord... If you'll just show us the Father, that'll suffice us. That'll satisfy us. And Jesus said, have I been so long with you, Philip? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father because me and the Father are one. God the Father and God the Son are one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are all one. There's perfect unity in the Holy Trinity. So if the Holy Spirit lives in us, Jesus lives in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. If you've got it, say, I got it. Now, not only does the Holy Spirit replace and restore the presence of Jesus in this world for the believer, but the Holy Spirit also represents the person of Jesus in our everyday lives. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Look down at verse number 26. The Bible says something here I love. It says, but the comforter, now the word comforter we said last week is the word parakletos. It means the one who comes alongside to help us. How many of you know the Holy Spirit lives in us and works on us and through us to accomplish the good will of God? And He don't do it in spite of us. He does it with us. He comes alongside to help us do what God has purposed for us to do. I'm going to tell you something. If I didn't believe the Holy Spirit was going to help me, I would never stand before you on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night or a Wednesday night and give you this message. I'd never do that. Because I realize in my own power I'll never be effective. But God promises that what He has called me to do, He also gives me the power to do, not because of who I am, but because of who He is. 
And the same is true for every believer. That don't just go for preachers or missionaries or whoever else. That goes for every single believer. Whatever God calls you to do, He gives you the power to do. That means if God calls you to witness to your lost co-worker, listen to me folks, if God puts that on your heart and on your mind and burdens your heart with that person, go to them and share the love of Jesus knowing that God the Holy Spirit will be with you. Knowing He'll give you what's needed when it's needed. Believe me, it works. If God has called us to be husbands that love our wives, guess what? He'll give us the power to love our wives as Christ loves the church through the person of the Holy Spirit. If God has called me to raise my children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, guess what? If He's called me to do that, He'll give me the power through the Holy Spirit to accomplish His good will and purpose in my parenting with my kids. I'm telling you, it changes everything. It changes our lives when we realize the work of the Holy Spirit. Change their relationships, change their ministry. Change it all because it's, it's no longer just about what we can do. It's about what God can do and wants to do in and through His people. It makes all the difference. He's that comforter, that parakletos, the one who comes alongside to help us. He said, Jesus said, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father, watch this, will send in my name. He, watch what he's going to do. He tells us two things. First of, all, first of all, he says he'll teach you all things. Now, what does that mean? Well, Jesus tells us in John 14, 26, that the Holy Spirit will be our teacher. And then he tells us in John 16 how he's going to teach. So everybody keep your place there in John 14. Flip over one page to John 16. And I want us to start reading in verse number 7. Jesus says it like this here. He says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the corporator will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. So Jesus says to his disciples, It's better that I go so that he might come. Now, let me ask you. Have you ever thought, man, I wish I could have lived when Jesus walked upon the earth? I wish I could have been like Peter and John and James, Philip, Matthew. I wish I could have been like those original disciples, seeing all that Jesus did, being a part of all that Jesus was doing. I wish I could, have, I could have sit with him at night and talk with him and ask him questions and had him teach me. I wish I could have been where they were. I've thought that before too. I've said that many times, matter of fact. But in a quiet time, just me and the Lord one day, the Lord brought revelation to my heart and mind. Guess what? We can walk with Jesus. We can talk with Jesus. We can be a part of what He's doing in this earth. We can see miracles that He does. We can do work with Him as He allows us to be a part of what He's doing. We can walk with Him, talk with Him, be a part of what He's doing in this world. How? Because of the person of the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. So Jesus said, you know what? It's better that I go away so that He might come. It's good for us that we have the Holy Spirit. Like I said last week, when Jesus was here in his bodily form, well, 
he was limited by where he could be. He could only be at one place at one time. But how many of you know, now Jesus in the person of the Holy Spirit is dwelling in every believer. So that tomorrow when I go to my workplace as a believer in Jesus who has the Holy Spirit in him, Jesus goes with me to my workplace. You may not work with me. You may be going to somewhere else. But guess what? If you're a believer and the Holy Spirit dwells in you, then Jesus goes with you to wherever you're going. He goes with you to the grocery store. He goes with you to the ball game. He goes with you to the school. So that wherever you are, He can work in you and work through you to accomplish His goodwill and purpose in your life. Wow. It's good that we, collectively as the body of Christ, have the Holy Spirit. Then He says this, watch verse number 8. And when He has come, He will reprove the world of sin of righteousness and of judgment. So what is the Holy Spirit going to teach? How is He going to teach? Well, the Scripture says, Jesus says that He will reprove the world. The word reprove is a legal word that means to bring into the light, to convince or to convict. And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit does. He convinces us and convicts us of the truth of who God is and God's precious Word. The Holy Spirit, first of all, the Bible says, convicts the world of sin. Do you see that? It says that in verse number 8. He will reprove the world of sin. And then he says righteousness. And he says judgment. Look at verse 9. Of sin because they believe not on me. Now the Holy Spirit is the only one that can convict, convince, reprove a lost sinner and let them know their need for Jesus. Let me tell you why. Because basically everybody thinks they're okay. You don't believe me? Go knock on some doors and do some witnessing. I don't care where you're at. I done some witnessing in Nicaragua two weeks ago. Guess what? People in Nicaragua think they're okay. People in America think they're okay. Wherever you go, people are just people. And they think they're okay. It's so hard. It's, as a matter of fact, it's impossible to convince somebody that they need a Savior. It really is. That's why I'm thankful for the Holy Spirit. That's His work. He reproves, convinces, convicts people of their sin. Guess what? That's what He did for me. Let me give you just a little bit of my testimony. When I was about nine years old, I'm going to say I had an experience with the Lord. I, I, listen, I knew the Lord had convicted my heart and, and I went up on a Sunday night service and I prayed a prayer and signed a card and went through a baptistry. And, and folks, I, I want you to know, after that time, I never really had any lasting peace concerning my relationship with the Lord. Never did. I always struggled with it continually. I tried to do the right thing. I wanted to do the right thing, but I found it very hard to overcome temptation and sin in my life. Much later on in life, as I began seeking the Lord, I mean, I really began seeking Him. Because I wanted to know, am I where I need to be or am I not? Well, Jesus said it like this. He said, if you'll seek, praise God, you'll find. I found that to be true. Because I began seeking for the Lord and the Holy Spirit of God began reproving me. Convincing and convicting me of my sinfulness. You say, brother, was you that bad of a guy? Well... Hey, listen, by your standard or my standard, I may not have been. 
I mean, I had never robbed a bank. I wasn't an axe murderer. None of you have probably ever robbed a bank. You probably ain't an axe murderer. Axe murderers usually don't come to places like this. <laughs> but if you are, God's grace is sufficient for you. We'll talk about it after service if you'd like. I'm just saying, by my standard, I probably wasn't that bad a guy. And by your standard, I may not have been that bad a guy. But the truth is, none of us are really judged by our standard or your standard, my standard. We are judged by the standard of the righteousness of Jesus. And so the Holy Spirit of God began showing me just how lost and how undone I truly was. He began showing me how much I needed a Savior, that it wasn't about what I could do. It was only through what He has done. And to the point that I just came clean with the Lord, and I said, God, I, I need you. I fell down hopeless and helpless at the cross. And I said, Lord, I realized all the good stuff I've done, I didn't do it for your glory, I did it for mine. All the good things I've done is tainted by my sinfulness. I'm lost and undone. I need you. And praise God. Listen, when I got real with him, he got real with me. And he gave me peace that passeth all understanding. Joy unspeakable and the full of glory. Listen, he gave me that relationship I had longed for all my life. But it happened as a result of the work of the Holy Spirit. And that experience I had with Jesus has changed me forever. But it takes the Holy Spirit to do that. How many times have you, I've heard, maybe you've heard it, I've heard it, I've actually seen it. I had a, I was pastoring a church before I come here. Dear brother who I love, Still love him to death. Great guy. Great family man. He taught the young adult Sunday school class and had been teaching the young adult Sunday school class for about 10 years. We had a revival about six months after I came to the church. The first night of the revival, he got saved. He'd been doing a lot of good stuff. He's a good man, good moral man, good family man. But that night in that revival, the Holy Spirit convicted him of his sin. And he came to Jesus. He had heard the gospel. He had even shared the gospel in his Sunday school class over and over and over and over and over again. But all of a sudden it clicked. What does that? The Holy Spirit. So he convicts us of our sin, convinces us of our sin and then of righteousness. The righteousness. Now, what does the Holy Spirit teach us about righteousness? Well, two things. First of all, He teaches about our righteousness. Again, the Holy Spirit began to show me that, listen, I was guilty according to God's standard of righteousness. I mean, we can all look at someone else down the road and find somebody else worse off than we are. I can look at my neighbor and say, I may not be perfect, but I'm better than he is. Well, guess what? I'm not going to be judged, and you're not going to be judged according to my standard of what my neighbor does or don't do. And so the Holy Spirit lets us know that our righteous standard is not enough. 
That's why the scripture says in Isaiah 64 and 6 that our righteousnesses, the good things we do, are like filthy rags when we put them up next to the perfect righteous standard of God. So he convicts the world or convinces the world of righteousness. Our righteousness and the righteousness of Christ. The Holy Spirit began showing me that I needed Jesus. That Jesus had already fulfilled the righteousness of God through his perfect life and paid for my sin debt at the cross, thereby taking my punishment and my guilt and my shame. And now all I had to do was trust in him mercifully. Listen, Jesus looked down. Save me. Because I trusted him and what he's done. Folks, I'm not saved because I'm a preacher. Because I come to church, because I've been baptized, because I try to do good things, I'm saved because of the righteousness of Christ. Righteousness that has been imputed on my behalf by faith in Him. That's what the Apostle Paul says, blessed is the man whom the Lord does not impute sin, but imputes righteousness. And that happens by faith. So the Holy Spirit reproves us of sin, reproves, convicts, and convinces us that our righteousness is not enough, but the righteousness of Christ is sufficient. But what else does He do of judgment? Isn't that what it says? And He gives us some understanding of this. He says of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. All God's people ought to say amen right there. Let me give you some advice. Listen. The universalist will tell you that we're all the children of God. They'll tell you that, hey, we're all one big happy family. We're all God's children. Let me say something to you. That may give you the warm and fuzzies and make you feel real good. may put a smile on your face, but there's only one problem with it. It's a lie. And Satan would love for you to believe that. We're not all the children of God. Not according to Jesus. Jesus said there's two families. Two families with two heads. You've got a head who is uh, the, the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, the head of one family, and Satan who's the head of the other family, according to John chapter 8. Now listen to me. The only way you can be a part of the family of God is if you've been born again spiritually into His family. That's it. He told the, uh, the, the religious crowd, the scribes of the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, he said, you are not of my father, you are of your father, the devil. John 8, 44. And so Satan has a family. And if you are here this morning and you've not yet been born again, the Holy Spirit has not yet brought that change into your life. Let me say this to you. Listen, listen. You're still in his family and you need to be born into God's family. I don't know how I can make that any plainer, but we need to know this. And the good news is this. Jesus said the prince of this world, or Satan, has already been judged. Let me tell you where Satan was judged at. He was judged at the cross. It is because of Satan that sin entered this world. It is because of sin that we are separated from God. It is because of Jesus 
that our sin debt has been paid. And so if our sin debt has been paid, all those who place their faith in Christ, can, listen now, can be reconciled to God. We were once separated by our sin, but now, because of Jesus and His perfect work at the cross that He finished, we can now be reconciled or brought close to the Lord. And so the power of Satan... has no more power over those who trust in Jesus. You know he's already been judged. He, he was judged at the cross. But listen, that sentence is going to be carried out when Jesus comes back in his second coming. Isn't that right, Wednesday night crowd? Amen. We've seen that, haven't we? That day's coming. That day's coming. We look forward to that day. But he's already lost. Listen, folks, I've read the back of the book. I know who wins. The Holy Spirit is still in the saving business. Now, this is your invitation today. Do you know you've been born again? Do you know there's been a time in your life when God's done a work on the inside that's made a difference on the outside? Do you know that you know that He's replaced that old heart with a new heart? <laughs> Do you know that you've got the peace of God that passeth all understanding? I had a brother tell me one time, and I agree with him. He said, the Lord never saved anybody to make them miserable. Now listen, folks, I know we all go through miserable times, but in spite of my mis miserable times, in spite of my misery from time to time that I go through and you go through, as the people of God, we can still have joy. Why? My joy is not found in my happenings. I don't just have happiness. Happiness is based on happenings, what happens to you. And that can change like the wind. True joy is found in Jesus. And then no matter what happens, <laughs> I can still rejoice. Still rejoice. Do you have that today? If not, you can. This is the good news. It's free to all who receive it by faith. And if that Holy Spirit is tugging at your heart, that's the best way I know how to describe it. That's how he does. He woos you unto himself. Maybe a little bit here and a little bit there. Maybe he's been doing that in your life. Maybe it's took a period of time because it did for me. I can look back now and see where God was showing me little things here and showing me little things there. Doing little stuff here that just blew me away. And he brought me all the way up to the point where I saw my great need for him. And then by his grace, he saved me. Maybe he's been doing that for you. Good. That's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Dr. Junior Hill says, don't worry about feeling bad. He said, a lot of times you got to feel bad before you can really feel good. When the Holy Spirit begins convicting your heart, it makes you feel bad. You see just how lost and undone you are. That's okay. That's good. It was grace that first taught my heart to fear. And then grace, my fears relieved. 
you need Jesus today. My goodness, what are you waiting on? He's available. Trust him. You say, brother, I don't know. I think I'm saved. You don't need to think so salvation. You need to know so salvation. And only you know it. But you know it. Deep down, you know it. And if you don't, nail it down today. Trust him today. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Some of you are here and you're already born again. You're a child of God. Are you giving all you can give for the kingdom? Boy, I tell you what, I got convicted last night. See, the Holy Spirit, he still convicts believers of sin. <laughs> he convicted me of a whole lot last night. And he began showing me there's some things that need to change in my life. So are you doing what you need to do, child of God? All you can do. If not, this invitation is for you. Do you want to join this church? You've prayed about it. God's put you here. What are you waiting on? We need you. We want you. What I'm trying to say is, listen, if you've not been born again, come let me help you. I'm going to help. I can't save you, but I can show you what it means to be saved through the blessed word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So when I preach the gospel, when I share the gospel, that coupled with the work of the Holy Spirit is still changing hearts and lives. So you come let me help you if you're not saved. But if you are saved, won't you come help us? So it won't be what they're doing, but now it can be what we're doing. It won't be this church or that, that church. It can be your church. It won't be that pastor. It can be your pastor. Whatever you need to do. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit because he can be grieved. He has emotion. <laughs> Just come today. Come today. I'd love to pray with you. I want to pray with you. It's my privilege to pray with you. If you need the Lord in any way. Brother, you ready? Everybody stand.